you're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network. You're listening to episode 355 and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. Dan Moore has over 20 years of experience as a developer. His roles have included employee, contractor, community member, engineering manager, and CTO. He currently leads developer advocacy at FusionAuth, a Denver company building software to handle authentication, authorization, and user management for any app. In 2018, Dan started a blog exclusively focused on helping new developers level up and has published over 200 posts to help them improve their skills and avoid common mistakes. He resides in Boulder, Colorado, and you can find him on Twitter at MoreDS. Welcome to the show, Dan. Greetings from Boulder, Colorado, USA, Brittany. It's great to have you. Dan, what is your developer origin story? Yeah, so when I think back over uh, my career, um, the first time I really did programming um, was automating mail merge for my parents' insurance company. They had a small little brokerage. We had to send out letters notifying clients of their policy expiring. And when I got there, they they made me work there uh, in middle school. And when I got there, they were doing all these letters manually. And I built a small database of clients and handled the mail merge process. And it took a process that took uh, days, you know, and turned it into minutes. I mean, you still had to stuff envelopes and whatnot, but it was a lot easier to do this. This was, right, by the way, not email, like regular mail. And um, the reason why I kind of point that as my developer origin story is that was the first time I really realized the value of software to reduce human misery because I feel like uh, software done right can really help people live better lives. And that was a small thing, right? A very small piece of it, but that opened my eyes to, to the power of software. That's fantastic. So what brought you to web development? I uh, did... So I studied physics in college, and I wanted to be a writer, a science fiction writer, when I went to college. And I really enjoyed the first couple of years of physics, but after the second year, it got less interesting to me. And I got a job in the computer lab, just being a computer lab proctor, and then I ended up getting a couple internships over those years. And this was kind of late 90s. There was a lot of interesting things happening. I learned Perl and uh, ended up getting a job at a small consulting company, which, by the way, I recommend for anybody who doesn't know what kind of software they want to build to go to work at a small consulting company because it's consulting, so you'll get a wide breadth of experience, and it is small, so you'll actually be able to have an impact. But I ended up doing that, and that was kind of the start of my web development journey. And is that what led you to Ruby and Ruby on Rails? No. So actually, how I started, I, so I did a lot of Java in the 2000s and then some PHP. And in 2016, I joined a startup uh, as a co-founder, and that was my first well, that's not true. That was my second experience through Ruby on Rails. I'd, I'd done some maintenance projects before, but that was my first real big experience. And uh, I think this was a case where Rails was absolutely the right choice because 
basically, I joined in kind of March, and then in April, I built out an MVP based on discussions with the co-founder and uh, some PowerPoint slides she put together. And then we beta tested in May, and then we launched in June. So, and I was the only developer. So basically, I think that's where Rails, one of the places Rails really shines is, you know, got to jam out some code. It's an MVP. It's it's doesn't have to um, necessarily scale because you're just trying to get feedback from the market. And um, that's where I kind of really jumped into Rails kind of with both feet. I love the phrase jam out some code, and I think that fits really well for our community. So we mentioned in the bio that you have had many hats, and so currently you're working in developer relations. So what is a day in the life of the head of developer relations for a company? Yeah, so I think it's actually one of my dream jobs because it varies so greatly. Over my career, I've been a generalist more than a specialist, and so you know, in a typical day, I might write a blog post, reach out to a meetup to speak, work on an example application, update some technical documentation, uh, pop into a forum and like answer some customer questions. And so, you know, it definitely is uh, kind of a variety of the spice of life type of job as opposed to, you know, I know, definitely know, and I've had other developer jobs that were heads down, you know, you're building, writing code for as many hours a day as you can. And at least in my position with developer relations, I'm at a, a company that's a little bit smaller. Fusion Auth is not uh, huge. And I know that just like software development varies between very small companies or small companies and large companies, so does DevRel. But in my mind, it's just so much fun to be able to kind of jump from different projects. And if I um, you know, just want some of that flow that I would get from coding, I can go build an example application. If I want to, uh, if I'm kind of feeling, actually just before this podcast, I was you know, a little bit nervous. And so I ended up um, doing some kind of mindless task. I like took a customer interview I'd done and kind of transcribed it and polished it for our blog. So wide variety of tasks, writing focused, speaking focused, and then also still a uh, foot in, in coding. I'm curious, you know, once we see an end to the pandemic, which we don't know when that will happen, do you see yourself traveling more to different conferences or do you think you'll stay put? Yeah, I think there's like a spectrum of DevRel. And I think you can definitely be effective going out and speaking at conferences, uh, you know, pressing the flesh, being at, being behind a booth and, you know, really talking to customers. And I got a chance to do that at a previous position at reinvent in 2019 and it was really unique because it was hard to imagine us being able to see as many customers you know if we'd been calling people or whatnot then we were able to you know see on the the floor of the expo but i think there's a lot of value in stuff that's really more scalable so that's documentation one of the things i love about fusion auth is that we really take pride and our customers have told us this in our documentation that's really good. And so that can be really high leverage, uh, videos, blog posts. So I guess the short answer is I don't want to, I don't have any desire to be one of those uh, folks in, on the side of the spectrum where you're traveling like 
all the time, like three or four weeks a month. That sounds unpleasant to me. So I'm going to try to see whether I can make DevRel work for me and for my company uh, on the uh, less traveling side. That doesn't mean I, I definitely I applied to go speak at a conference in Singapore um, towards the end of this year. That might have been an optimistic thing to do. But uh, so I definitely want to do some travel, but I don't want to be a road warrior. Gotcha. Well, I went to AWS reInvent 2019. And if you worked that, I give you a lot of credit because it is one of the most exhausting weeks that I do. So I've gone to AWS, I think the last four years, it feels very weird not going to Las Vegas this past year. But um, yeah, I give a lot of credit for people who can both speak technical and be energized by, the, by those customer conversations. Wasn't that just such a, I mean, the, 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 floor of the expo i didn't even get a chance to go to any of the talks but the floor of the expo is just it's a controlled rave is what it is <laughs> with food and all, you know as much as you can drink so it's it's wild so let's talk authentication what are the different options a team could take yeah so i was thinking about this uh, a little bit and I think there's really kind of four pieces, like four options. So the first is no authentication. And this can definitely work well for some kinds of applications. Uh, if it's, especially if it's more on the website side, you may choose to have you know, no, no authentication or, or no authentication in your application. Uh, if you, you can imagine a Jekyll site, you, know, you have authentication, it's just been offloaded to you, GitHub or Bitbucket. So that's one option. Not a very typical one, but definitely an option. Uh, rolling your own, right? Which I kind of characterize as running create user, uh, create table user uh, with columns of password and username and all that. Um, then you have libraries that are kind of tightly integrated with, or semi-tightly integrated with um, Rails or Ruby. Um, so that would be things like OmniAuth, Knock, Devise. Um, and then you have kind of the fourth option, which is like a standalone auth system that you integrate with your Rails application or your Ruby application in, um, via either kind of standards or via an API. This episode of the 5x5 Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Scout APM. Scout APM is application performance monitoring designed to help Rails developers quickly find and fix performance issues without having to deal with the headache or overhead of enterprise platform feature bloat. With the developer-centric UI and tracing logic that ties bottlenecks to source code, Scout helps you quickly pinpoint and resolve performance concerns, like N plus one queries, slow database queries, and memory bloat, so you can spend less time debugging and more time building a great product. And with Scout's real-time alerting and weekly digest emails, you can rest easier knowing that Scout's on watch to help you resolve performance issues before your customers ever see them. Give Scout a try today with a free 14-day trial and experience firsthand why Rails developers worldwide call Scout their best friend. And as an added bonus for Ruby on Rails listeners, Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. Learn more at scoutapm.com slash rubyonrails. Thank you to Scout APM for supporting the show. 
So, you know, there are certain topics, we've mentioned this on the podcast before, where you can say a couple words and developers will normally give you the same kind of face. And one that is pretty standard is if you ask somebody whether or not you should roll your own authentication. And they normally give you, you know, kind of that grimace face because it, it can be quite risky. Now, um, I learned how to code coming through a boot camp. And so one of the lessons that I learned was how to roll my own authentication system so that I hadn't a appreciation for all the existing technologies that are out there. But is there a time in production where a team really should be rolling their own authentication system? Sure. So, I mean, I think the way I think about this, and first of all, I think it's great to do it as an exercise, like you did, because you really gain an appreciation for what libraries and auth systems provide for you. Uh, My answer would be, it's worthwhile to create your own authentication system the same it, it's the same kind of decision as creating your own data storage so there are you know most of the time like 95 percent of the time especially kind of in the in the rails web app world you are going to reach for postgres or you're going to reach for another relational database or maybe sqlite if you want to um you know do something embedded because it just solves so many problems for you now five percent of the time and I don't have, these numbers aren't hard, this is just kind of rule of thumb, but 5% of the time you have such special needs that it does make sense to do it. So an example I could think of where you might roll your own off is if you're building an API and you want to keep memory usage way down, you want to keep your, your file system way down, and you're just going to do API keys. Because API keys, where you're just compare, you're taking something off of a header and you're looking to see if it matches the value in a database, that's really hard to get wrong. And so, but I can't think of too many other cases where I would say, roll your own. That's a great example and something that I've implemented before, like a lightweight API and just rolling with those keys. So that that's a great example. So when should you use an established library from our community? So I think that that should be the first thing you should do, right? Uh, you know, if you're in that 95%. And so, uh, that would be, you know, reaching for something like Devise. And I do want to acknowledge that the times I've spent with Devise, I found it to be somewhat confusing and frustrating. But I think I, <laughs> to be fair, felt a little bit like that around Ruby too, or not Ruby, sorry, uh, Rails too, right? Like there's just a lot to pick up. And then when you do, especially if you're, in a Rails environment, and you're just, you know, maybe you're a consulting shop that, or you work at a consulting shop that builds Rails, or you have a product company where Rails is the main uh, framework you use, you're going to get dividends by spending the time to like really learn and understand Devise and the workflows that come with it, or OmniAuth and the, and the different providers you can integrate with. Um, so that's kind of where I would, that'd be my first step uh, is to definitely reach for something that has been bug tested uh, and and documented by the community rather than kind of rolling my own. 
Yeah, so a couple thoughts there. First of all, Devise is a wonderful piece of technology, and it does exactly what you needed to do if you wanted to do exactly what it does. But if you want to extend it, it gets a bit more difficult, and there is documentation. Sure, there is Stack Overflow out there that can help you, but it is definitely um, a, a little more rigid than most because, it, it, from what I understand, it is a Rails engine that you're loading in through your application. So it is, it is great, and it is well-tested. Second of all, I'm so grateful that GitHub has now rolled out that feature where you can see where projects are being used. So before we were re relying on things like Ruby Toolbox to know which projects were actively being maintained and used. I do appreciate with GitHub, you can now see, you know, the open source projects that are using a certain library because, you know, it's very easy for someone to build an authentication library over a weekend, push it up. And if it just has great SEO on Ruby gems, it could be very easy to grab at that gem and then use that and it might not be well vetted. And so I think it's important when you choose a third party uh, library out there in the open source community that you have a way of knowing that it has been well tested. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Like whenever you're making this kind of buy, build versus buy decision, uh, it's very easy to, and you know, I mean, I, I'm guilty of this as much as, I'm guilty of this as much as anybody else. Uh, you know, it's easy just to Google and grab the first thing, right? And uh, an auth system, again, similar to a database, is really going to be integral to your application. It's, like I say, it's a necessary but not sufficient thing for your application to succeed. And so it's worth spending some time kicking tires, doing a proof of concept, doing a spike, doing that research, like you mentioned on GitHub, um, or other, other, you know, I, I know that some of the other uh, RubyGem sites, you know, you can see like, maybe not where they're used, but like how many times it's been downloaded. And looking at the commit history, if it's an open source project, looking at the releases, right? Is this under active development? I, I saw OmniAuth 2.0 was actually released three days ago, which is awesome. Uh, you don't want to get tied. I mean, just as bad as rolling your own is getting tied into an auth system that is not being developed anymore and that you'll essentially have to either move off of or invest significant time on that. I. I've done that before, uh, gotten into a dead end framework, not in the Ruby world. It was in a different, with a different language, but it was just extremely unpleasant because then you're confronted with these two choices. The first choice is keep on with the dead end framework and just, you know, try to patch it as you can or halt development work and pull in another system to get you back to where you were before. And it's not very fun to go to the business and say, hey, we need two months. We're guessing we need two months. Who knows how long it's really going to take. And at the end of the two months, we will be exactly where we are today. Um, not, not a fun conversation to have. No, that's not a fun conversation to have because you're right. Either is it, it's difficult to be able to point to it and say, hey, we're going to improve this. You want to use some sort of security auditing software so you can say, like, look at this. Like, this is so outdated. We have to fix this. This is just a, a you know, PR nightmare just willing to happen. But to your point as well, you know, if you implement a new implement, uh, new authentication system, you're taking a lot of ownership in that case, and you really only get one chance to get that right. Yes, eventually someone could find a bug in it, but usually when you get it wrong, it's pretty obvious that it's wrong right from the get-go. 
And so um, I, I do think that is an interesting straddle. I have worked in a deprecated CMS in the Ruby community where they had rolled their own authentication. And so going in there and really trying to rip out the internals and be able to replace it with a established library like Devise was quite the challenge. So Dan, when should you then invest into a third party service? Yeah, so a third party service, which is kind of, again, like a standalone service, uh, you know, Okta Auth, Zero, Fusion Auth, uh, Keycloak are some, you know, major players out there. And I think of it as an opinionated combination of device and OmniAuth that has been integrated and, and tied together. And so it's really a good solution if you have multiple different applications that you want to have one single view of the users for. And those could be some Ruby applications, they could be some custom applications uh, because these auth systems support standards like SAML and OIDC, you can pretty easily integrate even commercial off-the-shelf applications. So that's really great because that gives you, again, that one view um, in terms of onboarding, offboarding users and customers, uh, just seeing usage, and then applying permissions from kind of a central place. So those are some of the reasons to use a third-party service. Another is, uh, again, and this device or OmniAuth is similar too, right? Like it really accelerates development when compared to rolling your own. And um, they can include other features. One big win for the OS systems is that they have typically found all, most of the common workflows that users are going to do, right? Uh, again, um, auth is, in the, in the modern world, is somewhat complicated. There are some edge cases, but there's a lot of just common stuff, right? You're always going to want to be able to reset a password. Typically, you're going to be able to get a magic link sent. You might want to control password, uh, how often someone can reset a password. Um, how you know what the rules are around a password, um, and those are all kind of use cases that an auth system can drop in. And again, it's an investment, just like learning device or learning um, any other Ruby gem. But you can drop it in and apply that one, you know, that knowledge you gain against many different applications. This episode of the Five by Five Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Linode. Simplify your infrastructure and cut your cloud bills in half with Linode's Linux virtual machines. Develop, deploy, and scale your modern applications faster and easier. Whether you're developing a personal project or managing larger workloads, you deserve simple, affordable, and accessible cloud computing solutions. Get started on Linode today with $100 in free credit for listeners of the Ruby on Rails podcast. You can find all the details at linode.com slash Ruby on Rails. Linode has data centers around the world with the same simple and consistent pricing regardless of location. Choose the data center nearest to you. You will also receive 24-7, 365 human support with no tiers or handoffs regardless of your plan size. You can choose shared and dedicated compute instances, or you can use your $100 in credit on S3-compatible object storage, manage Kubernetes, and more. If it runs on Linux, it runs on Linode. Visit linode.com slash Ruby on Rails and click on the Create Free Account button to get started. Thanks to Linode for supporting the show. I'm curious, too, if it would be a big advantage to go with a third-party service if your team is attempting to build something that's cross-platform. 
So if you need to build a web app and maybe a native mobile application and they don't have the shared API set for perhaps login, would it make sense then to go with a third-party service that supports many more platforms than your web application does? Definitely, yeah, because a lot of these these auth services have SDKs. And so they might have an SDK for, you know, um, Android Java or for Swift or for, you know, whatever. And um, yeah, so that, that's a, a really, a really good point. So let's, uh, let's hypothesize a little bit. We've seen a lot of um, wonderful development come out of the Ruby on Rails community, especially for Rails Core, where we've seen a lot of things abstracted out that used to be tedious for Rails developers to implement. I can specifically point at Active Storage, where we were having to build all of the you know image and video upload, action text, act action mailbox. So do you see a world where Rails Core actually has something called like active off? I would love it, right? I mean, I think that uh, there is a, um, you know, one of the reasons why I think Rails has been as successful as it has is because it continues to do that. And I remember, you know, when I first kind of heard about Rails, it was doing more mundane things like CSRF protection that was just kind of built in. You don't have to think about it. And you, because Rails is opinionated, it's you learn it once and then you're kind of done as opposed to the Java world. Like I said, I was in the Java world in the 2000s where it's a lot like can it, you, you can get the same functionality. You just have to pick it. You have to like make those decisions, which takes away your time from actually developing the feature. So... I would love it if there was like an opinionated, like whether that's Devise or, or one of the other solutions, uh, solution, uh, the auth solution that got brought into Rails. I think that'd be fantastic. Another thing actually is if you have a startup idea, if you wanted to kind of um, do Devise as a service, right? Uh, like, like a curated Devise might be a, an interesting option too. But um I don't see any reason why Rails shouldn't expand to encompass that. I think the the arguments against it are one, <laughs> how much work it's going to be, mm-hmm. and two, you know, it's going to be one of those eighty twenty things, right? Like I think active storage might be a separate separate thing, but I think there's room for other kinds of gems, um, certainly around auth, but around other facets of Rails that will you know, solve different needs. But I think for the 80% use case is I want to do a username and password authentication, maybe some social connection, and that's what I need. And I I would love if Rails would, would pull that in. I could see it being really convenient for people who were starting a new Rails application, but I could see it being a different you know, a difficult adoption for people who already have an existing auth system, because even just moving from carrier wave and paperclip onto active storage is tricky. Mm -hmm. And so just having a clear path to get them over, but for new developers to start up a new Rails application and have an auth system ready to go, that's a pretty exciting world. Well, and I mean, honestly, I think that you could get a large part, you could, you could help a large part of those people that already have an existing auth system, especially if it tends to be like an, a standalone auth system by providing like a really good OIDC integration mm-hmm. and just having that be kind of part and parcel of, of um, active auth where yes, you can federate very easily 
And I think that would be a win too, because I'll, I'll tell you honestly, before I, I um, started diving into OS with this new job, you know, I, as a developer, had this like abstract idea and understanding of what OAuth and OIDC and SAML were, but they were scary. And they were, it was like a distraction from my job of delivering features, even though it isn't necessarily a distraction to provide a secure authentication layer. But uh, if Rails could abstract that out and, and make it as nice and easy as, you know, it is to send emails, right? Sending emails in a proper way, uh, in a performant way, is um, can be a pain in the butt too. And so I think there's a lot of winning possibilities for that. I actually brought this up. We had a, I was at a Ruby meetup last night and um, the people in the meetup that I, I said, well, what, what if we did bring it off in? Because um, I was thinking about that, uh, they were a fan of it. You know, the one thing that came up was people is people were saying, "Well, who's going to do the work, right?" Because that's that's the big thing. It it would be a tremendous amount of work to really kind of get it solid and smooth, as smooth as Active Storage is. This episode of the Five by Five Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Headspace. So you've probably tried meditation before and it didn't work, right? Or maybe you felt like you were doing it wrong. If mental health is part of your self-care plan this year, you owe it to yourself to try Headspace. I was skeptical, but I signed up and was really excited to see options that fit what I cared about. They had an option for meditating while running, biking, and amazingly, meditations for when you were in pain. As someone who recently twisted their ankle while running, this felt really personalized to me and helped a lot. Headspace can even help you tune into the moment with focus music specially curated by Headspace Chief Music Officer John Legend. Let's face it, last year was pretty stressful for all of us. What if this year you had something to help you be less stressed and handle the ups and downs that life throws at you? You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace's meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash rails. That's headspace.com slash rails for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Thank you to Headspace for supporting the show. I agree. I, I think at this point, we would be looking to extract it out of something that already exists to your point. So whether or not it's one of the big legacy customers of Ruby on Rails that has a really solid off system that could be integrated, I don't see it being feasible for something like Devise, which is incredibly complicated and large merging into Rails. But hey, you know, we'll, we'll have this uh, podcast as a relic that we can point back at. <laughs> so yeah. Dan, tell me about Letters to a New Developer. Yeah, so basically I started this blog, um, as you said in the intro, a couple of years ago, and I wanted to just share some lessons that I have learned. And I find that with writing, there's there's two benefits, right? The first is just writing something yourself clarifies what you learned. And then because if you post it in public, it might have the benefit, uh, might have benefit for other people. And so... That's what I, I started out doing that. Um, the other thing I, I wanted to do before I took on kind of this new blog project is to find something that I was passionate enough about that I could do it for years and helping new developers level up and helping them avoid mistakes I made is something that I am, uh, don't think I'll ever be bored of. So. so you recently published a book around it, correct? I did. After about a year or so, I realized that it could be turned into a book. I've done that once before where I took a, 
set up blog posts and turn them into a book. And uh, it was really um, a tremendous experience. Books are really hard. Uh, this was about a 210-page book. I consider it one of the top three professional accomplishments of my life. It's huge. I mean, there are very few people who can say that they've published a book. So kudos to you. That's really exciting. Now, I imagine that you also get really wonderful letters from new developers as a result of this. I do. You know, I definitely, it, 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 there's a lot of um, shouting into the void, I think, on the internet, right? Uh, Twitter or blog posts or whatnot. But I've definitely gotten uh, notes from people saying thank you or I'll occasionally see someone post a link to one of my posts. And I've also had people I've run into uh, back in the pre, uh, back in the days when we could walk around the, the earth, um, you know, run into people at meetups or conferences that just said, hey, you know, thank you very much. You know, this letter really resonated with me. Um, that is one tip for all your listeners. Uh, Brittany puts a tremendous amount of work into this podcast. It me up so much when I hear uh, just a thank you or a note it says wow this episode really resonated with me this letter really really spoke to me so if Brittany publishes something that is um that that helps you out in any way i would just say take 15 seconds and send her a thank you note um that'd be my pitch you can you can edit this out if you want Brittany, but i feel like people don't i don't think people who are listening to these kind of things or reading letters or reading blog posts realize how much of a grind it can be and how great it feels to hear from somebody. I could not agree with you more. I got a uh, note the other day. I'm going to do a listener shout out to Richard Hulse. He sent me a note from Australia just letting me know that even though he doesn't actively participate in the Ruby on Rails community anymore, that he still listens to the podcast and he just appreciates the content that I put out there. And I will tell you, that made my entire week. So thank you very much, Richard. Awesome. Yeah, so Dan, what are your thoughts on the future of the Ruby and Ruby on Rails communities? Yeah, you know, I think, so I'm still an active member of the Boulder Ruby meetup. And we actually talked about this at a recent meetup as well. I think that I've been around tech long enough to see communities. Um, basically, the way I think of it is that new technology comes on the scene. You know, you can re-implement everything in it. And consultants realize that they can make a ton of money if they become good at it. And they rush in. It's the exciting new thing. And then eventually you learn that the same problems are going to pop up that popped up in the old systems because most problems in software are people problems. And so you end up with some of that excitement leaving, people getting deflated, the consultants run off to the next new thing, and it feels like Ruby is there. But the nice thing that about getting that point is that you actually end up with a situation where people can do real solid good work now. And I was kind of mulling this mulling this over in my head uh, after the conversation last night. And I feel like there's so many tools to accomplish a task, right? If you want to build a website or, or a mobile application, you know, there's so many tools to, to, to get the data around. I think that a differentiator is to pick the one that has the community that resonates with you. And different people are going to have different communities resonate, but 
the Ruby community is so energetic and friendly and um, helpful and uh, just no a-holes, basically, that um, I think that is going to be a differentiator for Ruby kind of going forward and a reason why I have no worries at all about this, this technology. That's a great sentiment. So Dan, how can listeners follow you? Yeah, I would love to engage with you, um, ask questions or talk to you about new developers, um, mistakes I've made or authentication systems on Twitter at MoreDS, um, M-O-O-R-E-D-S. And I also do a fair amount of writing at FusionAuth.io. So um, thank you so much for having me, Brittany. It was seriously a pleasure, Dan. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 network. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review and thank you for listening. Thank you.